For over 37 years, TargetLeads.com has harnessed the power of direct mail and targeted lists to help you achieve your marketing goals. Whether you are a coach, an athletic director, an administrator, or you represent a nonprofit or a for-profit entity, direct mail with highly targeted lists continue to outperform social and email campaigns. If you are looking to reach prospective students or athletes, they have the lists. If you're looking to grow your business, they will find you your next customer. While we spend so much time online, the offline physical touch and feel of mail stands out, gets noticed, and generates response. Don't sleep on the power of mail. If you are recruiting, fundraising, or growing your customer base, mail should be a part of your marketing strategy, and TargetLeads.com is there to help you achieve your goals. Visit TargetLeads.com and please let them know that Coach Climo sent you. TargetLeads.com. Mail works. Our next partner has a product I use every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a simple all-in-one solution as opposed to the ever-changing variety of supplements I have been taking for as long as I can remember. Sometimes up to three ramekins a day full of pills and powders trying to find the right formula for peak performance. Now that I've been taking Athletic Greens for a few months, I love it and I will never go back. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take one scoop in the morning on an empty stomach and an additional one in the evening when I am feeling run down. I've seen such a difference in my own performance that I recently ordered additional AG1 for the rest of my family to use. It costs you less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit, and supports better sleep quality and recovery, in addition to mental clarity and alertness. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com contacts. Again, this is athleticgreens.com contacts to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome to the Contacts Coaching Podcast, dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches, sharing what they have learned throughout their career. The show is designed to serve as a digital database of mentorship from a wide network of coaches whose innovative, reflective, and diverse knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. In addition to sport-specific expertise, each episode also dives into the ways in which culture, strategy, and tactics can cross from one discipline to another. I'm your host, Justin Klein. Welcome back to the Context Coaching Podcast. We are joined today by my friend, Courtney Hamilton, who is a football and golf coach and math teacher at Woodbury Forest Academy, I believe, in Virginia. She'll correct me if I'm wrong on that. But coach, thanks for being here today. 
Thank you. It's Woodbury Forest School as it stood for 125 years, 1800, something like that. Yeah, it, it stood the test of time and somehow so have I in coaching and teaching. We're always trying to get better and right off the bat, I fumbled. So it's all good. So why don't you help us ground the audience in who you are, coach? Take us through your background as a coach. How'd you end up coaching? How'd you get into this space? And how'd you land where you are now? Take us through the resume. I started schools and being in coaching because Denise, who's at uh, Stevenson, he knew my brother and I had reached out to him after I graduated from USC and said, I'm bored with my job. Can we press pause before you go down this road? Because you just skipped over a big chapter of why you're in coaching that happened at USC. So I think I'm going to get to that. All right. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I was an assistant selling insurance after college and I was not happy and I missed what happens between three and five. And between three and five, from the time I grew up, I was playing soccer, I was playing basketball, and I was a golfer at St. Francis High School, a great girls golfing powerhouse. And for the four years prior, I was at USC working with Pete Carroll and Ken Norton Jr. and Ed Ogeron right there in the defensive room on the field. And it had embodied so much of my life but not in a bad way. I didn't know how immersed I was because I was enjoying all of it. And this was from 2002, spring 2002 to spring 2005. And it was exhausting. I didn't think I'd ever go back to it. And then in the fall between three and five, there was a part of my life missing. And I knew he was at boarding school. I always had this idea in my head of being at a boarding school and (laughs) I said, okay, I'd like a job. I don't know how to do this. And as a bit of a a plate to this, I have the USC defensive playbook and I have the strength and conditioning manual. Let's talk. And I got up there. I did not initially get a job working at Stevenson, but I got a job coaching. And it was 2000, my first year, there's 2017. And they were amazing. And the boys made me fall in love with it. Michelle Grogan, who was the head of school at Stevenson, made me fall in love with it. And Tom Atori and Sam Salerno. And just this year, I wrote to them, like, God, can you remember that team? They were nothing short of amazing. And I knew right then, after being in the weight room, helping them get better, because knowing, seeing what it looked like, what success looked like, and what it took, getting them into the weight room, I still loved it. And I remember Connor Finch's dad, comes to me and says, my son is stronger because of you. And I think from that point on, I knew somehow I wanted to streamline into this. And it took years of going back and getting my master's degree in education, being a student intern, having to work at a golf course, working at a diner, just so I can continue my enjoyment of coaching and moved around from day schools while coaching at a high school. Uh, I was at Cardigan Mountain last year. we didn't have as highly competitive a schedule uh, with COVID. Uh, and I was fortunate enough uh, this last fall to get a job at Woodbury Forest School, which is absolutely amazing. They prize both academics and sports and honor. It has one of the stronger honor codes within private school. And to me, both academics and athletics are so important when you think about honor and what you give to it and what you put forth in that input and output. So it's been great. I've enjoyed the process. Can you do me a favor and give a little bit of a snapshot of, how do I say this for the audience here? I guess boarding school life, because not a ton of people on this 
generally are listening from that lens. And so we can talk about some things that might not make any sense to other people. So when you say you're at Cardigan at a boarding school, Stevenson, you're working at day or at when you're at Catalina, it's a day, whatever, it's a day school. So just really quickly soundbite of what life is like in those spaces. You are immersed in the space. It's not a job. It is a lifestyle. And you live in a dorm or you live in a house just on campus and you are with these boys or girls, depending on what school you're at, uh, Woodbury is an all boys school. I'm in the third form, uh, which is the freshman boys dorm. Uh, and I don't, I'm not always seeing them every day on duty, but one every eight days I'm on duty and I'm overseeing study hall, making sure that they are in the evenings at their desks as a parent would studying, utilizing their time. We're making sure that they are embodying in healthy habits, that they have a clean room, that there you know, is curfew, that they're abiding by rules, they're respecting others, they respect the staff that works with us by cleanup. So you're in that parental role. And during the day, you're jumping in as a teacher. You are a coach immediately after. So you're going from beginning to end in some capacity as a teacher, as a parent, and for me as a teacher and coach, what I love about boarding school is that I can help the development of the individual. And that is in, especially for the third formers, they come in a bit of a mess and you're allowed to help them with their organization. And I coach at a lower level. I love coaching at a lower level. I don't want to coach at a varsity level uh, because you develop the habits to success. I get to help them get organized, help them know what to do. So they go to varsity, they go to sixth form, which is their senior year, they go to college, and they have been helped to learn time management. They have been helped success in the Woodbury way, which is, again, a place of honor and integrity and respect. They know to work hard. They know that what they should do should be done with attention to detail. And when I talk about coaching and styles and points of emphasis, it's the little things and allowing that development who they are as a person and who they are as an athlete is going to help them in athletics and academics. But ultimately, we know if you're lucky to be successful in sports, you might last till you're 27 if you're really lucky, but you have to have a something afterwards. And hopefully that something is a smart, functioning, respectful human being. And I think boarding school really allows you to be all hands in and get that development going. I want to take a moment to talk to you about a new product I've been using called Magic Mind. I started taking this product on Monday and I can tell you without a doubt, I have noticed a substantial difference in my attentiveness, how alert I am, and how even keeled my energy is throughout the day. Since beginning Magic Mind, I have been able to replace my normal coffee routine with a simple two ounce shot of this wonderful formula. Last week, I had to drive two hours to get knee surgery at four in the morning, and as we were getting ready to go, my wife said, the coffee machine isn't working, and we both grabbed a shot of Magic Mind out of the fridge and had ridiculous energy throughout the day as if we never even missed our coffee. Additionally, yesterday, my daughter asked if she could try one because she saw them in the refrigerator. And I said, absolutely. Let me know what you think. When I checked in later in the day and asked her how it was going, she said, that product is amazing. Can I take some back to college with me? I would encourage everyone to try Magic Mind and see if you have the same success that we have had. If you would like to try Magic Mind, go to magicmind.co slash contacts and get 40% off your subscription for the next 10 days with the code 
Contacts 20. C-O-N-T-A-C-T-S-2-0. I promise you won't be disappointed. Very different, obviously, coaching where I started at a big public school to being at a smaller boarding school where you just described that there's no downtime. You're involved in these kids' lives from the beginning of the day to the end. It's not just the two hours you get in the afternoon. But even so, you've had that experience as well. But it's helpful, I think, for the audience to understand that you're coming from that lens as you talk about a few things that may or may not be applicable. I'm going to go right at downtime, this. but you just got to be able to compartmentalize it. For sure. I'm going to go right at, I think, the elephant in the room here, which I've always appreciated about you and ask the question of what challenges have you faced being a female that coaches football and getting into that space and now also working at an all boys school and what that brings with it and how you would advise how you would talk to people that may be in a similar boat and let's just say they can't get taken seriously because people aren't always open-minded can you talk a little bit about that journey uh, you know, I remember asking Michelle Grogan when I interviewed to be a JV football coach, what are the boys going to be like? And she was very honest that they really were open to it. I remember when I was applying, I sent out e letters and emails to various coaches when I was living in Monterey, to Pacific Grove, to Palma. And I mentioned, hey, I and I dropped the line somewhere that I was a female, I was the first female to ever receive a scholarship from USC football for my work and didn't hear back. And I remember I, I emailed Al Avila at Seaside, a historic program. Al's amazing. And I left that part out that I was a female. And when I go and meet with him, he had talked to a mutual friend of ours, Sam Garcia. And Sam had said, oh, she's a female. He goes, no, I didn't. And so he tells me, he says, you didn't tell me you were a female. And I said, does it matter? If it matters to you that suddenly because I'm a female, all of my qualifications go out of the way. I don't need to be here. We solved that elephant in the room. And he, he believed me, he was an amazing mentor, an amazing coach. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care your background. He doesn't care your socioeconomic status. It's what can you bring? And, you know, that I think like football at Stevenson, that added to my resume. It added to my list of people who believed in me and we had a very successful season. So when I went on from there, I was at Jesuit high school, Jesuit again, a historic program. And they knew me. My brother went there. I went to the sister school. They saw my qualifications. They didn't care. All boys school. Were there boys within that time frame who cared? I don't know. They certainly didn't bring it up to me. And I think with my knowledge, if there was any doubt, hopefully they saw, I proved myself and saying, what should I do in this situation? How am I going to play this? I do remember, though, in our first year at Stevenson, Tommy and Sam and I, things you do when you're coaching in your 20s, you actually get into the practice with them. And we're talking football, so we're in it. And when they saw that I could pull the move, all right, she's she's good. She's got it. It does come into play when you're tackling. Tackle low. And I was like, okay, so I, I, with all things appropriate, put my arm around a kid, and he keeps running. I'm like, okay, so I can't stop him. Then you grab the knees. Boom, down he goes. And all right, she's got it. So just proving all those things. I'm in the weight room every day. My alarm goes off at 4.35 a.m. I'm in there. So when the boys come in, they're seeing me do the workout. So they know I can do it. I'm not just talk. Certainly having USC in my background buys me points. And it probably buys me points that a lot of other females wouldn't have. Uh, 
as far as being a female specifically going into it, USCE, they contacted me last year. And this girl, she's a student coach now. Her name is Graziella. She was affiliated with Modern Day. She said, I want to be a coach. What are your, what's your advice to me? And I reached out to a lot of girls, women I knew in sports, said, what's your advice? And women are held to a much higher standard. You don't date within the coaching program. You don't date within the program. Just you're looked at a much more conservative lens. You just, you got to be careful about that. And I had a couple crushes when I was at SC on guys who played football. You didn't do it because those girls were talked about, whether it was true or false, that just, that ruined your reputation. You really have to walk a conservative path, be very mindful of your dress, who you hang out with. You were never going to be on the row and at a party. You went straight home. Unfortunately, I'm not much of a- This is why you're a student, not once you're on staff afterwards, just navigating a student, assistant life, male or female. Both. And and those lessons that I, I took from being at USC that I followed there- have carried me over as a coach is that, you know, you're going to be looked at as a much more conservative lens. You've got to be on time. you got to be ready. You have to be, very, it's all about football. It's not about anything else. So you have to be so focused on the development of the game and the development of the student. So you got to come prepared. At an all boys school, I think in the classroom, academics are academics. They're used to seeing very strong female teachers throughout their lives. I have never been more in my life until I came to Woodbury. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Will do, ma'am. Very respectful and time just with conversations wins you over. I have amazing boys this year. It always warms my heart. DJ Clayton, whether he's on practice Whereas in my class, he leaves and I said, thank you. I appreciate you, Ms. Hamilton. Like, I appreciate you too. And that, that comes with time, but you got to be having all your ducks in a row ready to go. And mistakes are fewer, I think. But have, have you seen that evolve since you've been doing this for at least, hell, I don't know, 15 years probably at this point? Have you seen an evolution at all? culturally in society where there are more opportunities based on the trailblazers, the Becky Hammonds of the world that are showing for everybody that not only are you capable, but probably better at your job than many other people. Talk about it, what evolution you've seen in that. The idea that look at Michigan, he's got a power five school. He's got a female football coach on staff. There's a woman who I was coaching with the Niners. I don't know if she's still coaching right now. You're definitely seeing with time an all referee women's crew. And they may not know their knowledge. It might also be like, are they willing to handle what some of these Individuals who are not respectful, whether they're spectators or what, they got to listen to you. And can you handle any pushback? And so I've definitely seen uh, women pop up in areas that they wouldn't have before, uh, for sure. Woodbury Forest has been very supportive, and I even saw it at Cardigan. Uh, There's women head coaches. They were coaching hockey. Renee Hicks at Woodbury had an uh, undefeated basketball season here at Woodbury Forest. Uh, Abby Mills is a head coach as well. Uh, so I've seen it for sure here at a historically sound school with all male presence. Also, I think being in boarding school, a lot of people don't know is you have two after-school activity assignments. Sometimes it's sports, sometimes you know, you're the drama teacher. You may never have coached field hockey in your life, and they're going to give you a stick. Okay, you're the head coach. Practice starts tomorrow. We're going to fill this role. So somehow or another... Uh, beyond that staff, but I think proving yourself, a lot of women have had a lot of success and have uh, achieved ground, uh, certainly more so than we're seeing from when I was certainly in high school back in 1999, 2000. So yeah, yeah. yeah. the numbers uh, are there. Uh, but in my experience, I've never had a problem 
with it. You do wonder sometimes watching a head coach that's a female and a ref, okay, would they have gotten that call if she wasn't a female? She talked back and say, hey, can I get an explanation on why that technical was called and they just brush her off? Or why was that card pulled? Yeah, yeah. Can be allowed to have that conversation or an explanation that she doesn't. It's always know. an interesting dynamic and I've always appreciated you being in the thick of it. And I think it's important that people, if that's their passion, go out and take risks and don't take no for an answer. Right. And like you figured out how to get in the trenches and now here you are, however many years later on to the next step. So let me pivot now and ask this because we all evolve as coaches and who we were when we were young and who we are now, whatever timeline horizon you're on is what it is but what did you need to figure out when you first started even with your background I was on I was in USC rooms like I got football dialed and then you finally get out there for the first time and it's like what shifted were you definitely looking at a more advanced playbook and then it's just going to be schoolhouse right what it was when you were playing flag football on the playground I'm like this is what a detailed playbook looks like. So you really have to level up on your terminology. You got to be quick thinking and your first practice, it happens fast and you got to be able to have an answer. I never had a losing season. I think in my life prior to, it was probably 2013, whether it was at USC, whether it was in high school. I mean, we were NorCal champs. There was no state tournament, but the only game we lost in golf was against Jesuit High School, but we cleared the floor with the boys. There was a high school that wouldn't even shake our hands because we beat them so bad. I was used to girls playing. I was used to winning. The thing as a coach for me was accepting that there wasn't going to be a winning. Maybe you lose one or two, but accepting a losing season. How do I grapple with that? And how does that define me? Is it, I take things for like, we have a bad day of practice. I'll look over at one of our coaches. I'm like, is it me? Is, is, is it me? Am I, am I not doing it? But the next day they do great. You're like, what? what? Same guys. What what happened today? Yeah. So the so to, this year was interesting because for me, we didn't have a winning season, and when we lost, I was actually like the boys care so much. There were some games they wanted to win so badly, and you could see it in their eyes. They were so upset, and I was okay. And I kept thinking back to Wooden. Like I did my best, gentlemen. We did our best to become who we needed to be, but also this isn't everything. This is JV football. Uh, it's and one of the things where there's tragedies much worse in the world than losing a JV football game. And my purpose, I feel as a JV coach is not to win every game. Cause if I wanted to win every game, I could just blitz seven guys and just go like that. My role as a JV coach is to prepare them for what they're going to need to do on varsity. And that is know that everyone has a different assignment. All right. You may have to drop in the zone. And there may be a kid who doesn't want to drop in the zone. Goes, oh no, I'm. We had a kid like this one year when I was coaching, and he's running around. Oh, you got to stay here because everyone else is covering those spots. If you leave, that's going to leave this open. And he fought me on that. And every so often, you have kids that are fighting you for playing time. They're fighting you for one reason or another because it's new, and they've always been, you know, from about peewee through maybe freshman year, you can get away with being a selfish athlete. But that doesn't work JV varsity. And really, I don't want to say breaking them down because that sounds like a pretty intense word, but allowing them to see that their role in a team is to be part of it, not the center. And I asked this kid, I said, what do you do in your last team? 
He said, well, I got to roam the field and the other 10 guys had to do something else. I'm like, I can't create two defenses. That's not how this works. And so that is for me, if we're getting that done and we had an amazing final game against Episcopal, we had five, six sacks. We were dropping, we were covering, we were making tackles. We were forcing them to punt. They now know everyone has a role. They now know sometimes I shouldn't make some calls of, hey, get him out. I know that he's doing his best. And if they have that comprehension of get in the weight room, of this is my job, play my assignment, then they're going to go on to varsity and Jackson is going to do great things with them. And I'm like, here you go. This is 22 guys that will play with their heart. They will play what you ask them to do. And now, however you want to devise the schematics, here it is. But that is, that, that's his job. My job is to bring them through the, the levels. Of- well, and help them grow, to develop talent. Like you said, I love coaching lower levels because I get my hands on everybody and I get to help them grow into who they can become. And it's you know, what you just described. Hard, but- but developing mentality too. I remember John Wood, who I love John Wood. And he was talking about when he was with Sydney Wiggs, who fought him all the time. And he's a coach. I'm the best player on the team. I should be out there and wouldn't. And you can never tell your all-star that now. But Hell you yes, you can. You show him the plus minus data. Here you go. <laughs> Stat, it don't lie. It wouldn't be thinking, yeah, I need the best team on the field. I need the best team on the court. And that's what we've signed up to do is to be the best team. And this is your role right now. You know, even Abdul Jabbar, even Walton had to grab that rebound and then throw it a fast break as fast as he could. He was a great, they were great rebounders and they're great shooters, but they had to be a rebounder too. Absolutely. All right. Let me pivot here. I want you to think about this one before you answer. What is the best thing you do in your program? And by that, I mean, what's transferable if you were to go somewhere else to another school, show up, you're the head coach, you're not, whatever, but we're going to do this because regardless of sport, discipline, specialty, like this is impactful. And I ask this in regards to how we share resources and attempt to borrow from other people or give to other people so that they can have more successful experiences. But what do you think that is for you? Are you okay. Are, are you talking transferable in teams of like actual like physical resources or are you talking philosophy? For example, Brandon Laird and Kevin Nosick, who are two of my basketball buddies, colleagues, mentors that were at Davis with me that have been successful head coaches and assistants forever. And years ago I went, and I don't remember if it was when Brandon was head coach or Kevin, but I went to their practice and I watched and saw them before they practiced. They have their little pregame and then the whole team hugged. And after practice, same thing. And I was like, what is that all about? He's like, look, what happens during practice? We want to make sure that our guys know that we're going to still have relationship after. And so it's something I've done for 15 years at this point, ever since, like we hug before we hug after games, same thing to have a point of opening and closure, but also with young men, which I primarily coach these days, they're not taught from a societal standpoint, how to emote. So like we're trying to create an environment where that's possible. And so that's something that no matter what team I coach, like we do that. I'm thinking back to like, again, this is my first few years at Stevenson and even here, it's the standard and it's the standard and respect to which you give to your coaches, which you give to your teammates. When there have been times where there's been ego, 
I have been blessed to have Germano Denise and Jackson Mateo, Jeff Young, and Matt Blunden, who's our head coach, is no, it's about respect. It's about standard. It's about care, compassion. And if you are allowing one student, one player to not be respectful, to not hold the standard, the whole thing's going to fall apart because other kids, it's going to, he gets to do it what he gets to do it. Now there, there are different, you know, different players have different standards. Of course, if you have a kid that, you know, is making 23 points a game, you're going to hold him like, Hey, you're not going to allow him slacking by any means. You know what he can do. And when you call him out, you're actually calling him up. Like, hey, you're better than this. So definitely the standard. As far as coaching and practice, I remember, I can tell you right now what Greg Burns from UCLA is doing. He was my first coach that I worked with. He had the basics, fundamentals, and he coached Troy Palomalu. He coached Jason Leach. A couple guys that went up, Darnell Bing, all went to the pros. And he coached the same drills every day. We went through the Agiles, then we went to the wall, did hands and step, practiced the jam, then we dropped back on the lines, dropped back angle, dropped back. Every, you know, they're just basic. And he didn't try and fancy it up. Just get the basics down, the reaction time, the visual, that will all come. You don't need to make a fancy drill to make it work. And all of my drills, I bore my players to death. They are repetitious. They are simplistic but they're getting the job done. As for- I'm going to just interrupt you, coach, and I'm going to tell people who didn't listen to that, that is the recipe for success. Ask Kobe, ask the great teachers. Simplicity wins. Repetition is lord and master. Don't complicate winning. Yeah, and that to me was a basic thing that I just learned. Like, you don't need to go on YouTube every night and find a new drill. It's if you're pass rushing one game, maybe during the week, you practice the figure eights a little bit more. But every day we're doing hands, every day we're doing practice, linebackers, every day you're dropping back and you're coming forward. So those are just basic things. And he's probably still doing them now, but that was success. He also taught me your second string needs to be ready to go for your first string. And Troy Palomalu on the championship game at the Orange Bowl against Iowa, his leg is, he's out. All I'm going to say is he's out. There's a story behind it. And Jason Leach is stretching and they say, hey, Jason, you're starting. He goes, what? And we won that game because he prepared his second and third string just as well as he prepared his first string. And just because a kid is not the starter, he needs playing time. You do not put him on the bench when you're doing team drills. Maybe you have two versus one, two versus second string versus second string, but that kid needs playing time because someone's going to get injured. We had our defensive line got sick this year or someone, you know, was, was injured and, Little Nelson Stark, the kid is about five foot six. I'll play D tackle. We worked with him and that kid's first game, he broke through and he got a sack. So you you can't just say, okay, I'm going to depend on this guy being there because he may not be there. So you have to have a backup plan. Everyone has a plan until they get hit. Carol, he was all about tapping in. And that was the idea that when you walk through that door, he actually had a sign, I'm in, and you hit it. And if your girlfriend was giving you trouble, he told the guys, you leave her outside. You're focused on here if, you know, the Heisman race is getting too much or there's pressure or you're feeling the family is calling on you and you can't deal with the stress. That's left out there. Here, it's about something else. And so just making it about something else. But no, I, I very much agree that you got to tell and you got to show the kids you care. And I, I think my, I hope my students, my boys, every, you know, I still call them my boys, whether it's Adam Mary, who got that kid's 
2009, Finch, Leo, Brandon Cottle, all mm-hmm. those boys, I can, yeah, they're still my boys. And, and I still love them to death, just remembering all of them. And I, if they wanted to go into the weight room first thing in the morning, I'm like, all right, I'll be there at six. And I did not live on campus. I was not working for Stevenson. I got mm-hmm. from my apartment, I drove, and we got up in the morning and we worked out. Yeah. Uh, during the summer, like, hey, I want to get better. And I didn't say, hey, go to this camp. I said, there's some camps you want to go to. But I knew if I wanted to win, and I knew if I wanted to want them to win for me, I had to develop my free time, and we're going to block out, and we're going to do some drops. We're going to do some drills. I'm going to teach them how to go through film. And every day, you tell them you care about them. You ask how they're doing in classes. Al Avila had a saying, he says, because you know, he had guys that were on rival gangs on the same team. And he would tell the boys, I love you. And that was probably one of the first times some of these boys have heard a male who played for the Raiders in the 70s say, I love you. And he showed love to his own sons. And he showed it to his own players. And he said, you don't have to like each other, but you have to love each other. And there may be days where they don't like each other. There may be days where they don't like me, but we have to always love each other. And Again, that just goes back to the standard of, of giving it back and not just vocalize it. Every coach has like the slogans on the wall. Slogans mean nothing if you're not actually giving in that extra time. They will not give an extra time if you're not giving an extra time. For sure. No, that's gold. And I think that's a great place to transition from in regards to what you can offer to those listening. And where I want to go next is I'm on this soapbox for the last, hell, 10 12, 13 years of, of the value of the multi-sport athlete and the old school approach of being a seasonal kid versus, and hell, a seasonal coach at this point for me, versus the sports specialization and what I call the youth sports industrial complex and how they're destroying athletics. But what have you learned watching other sports that aren't football? And hell, golf for that matter, you coach golf too, but it's like that you've been able to translate in some capacity to coaching those sports, but you saw it somewhere else and you're like, Hey, I'm going to do that. Whether it's conceptual, whether it's specific, what are some things that you've stolen from other disciplines that have made not you a better coach only, but have also enhanced your athletes experiences and have allowed you to be a better teacher. So we used to do a drill uh, at SC where you know you get just hands reaction where they would take a tennis ball and fire the tennis ball with a tennis racket so the kid would just learn to move his hands together and I translated that for a brief time uh, again boarding school world I was the goalie coach for the lacrosse team and so this brother never was like all right and I would just fire it as fast and so she would just have to keep her hands together and move that ball and if we couldn't find anyone to fire the padding to begin with, but just a safe place where she could just learn to move those hands, eye-hand coordination. In terms of myself and looking at the three-sport athlete, one of the best things I tell my three boys right now who are my advisees, I said, what are you doing for your winter commitment? For a bunch of them, two of them played soccer and Will played football. I know Will, he may make varsity lacrosse. He's a heavily recruited lacrosse player from Texas. Maybe JV, can't call it. But he says, I'm doing interview. He's going to do squash. Have you ever played squash? No. <laughs> and he got cut, but he ended up doing, I think he's doing intramurals. And to me, that's the best thing he can do because for one season, there's no winning record. There's no losing record. There's no trophies. And he just gets to have fun. 
And that's the best thing that I think they can take time off, remember to have fun. High school sports is not to earn a scholarship. It's to learn to be a better person, a better teammate, a better player, communicator, and a better person, a better teammate is just remembering it's just a game. And it's hard to feel like that sometimes because there are pressures, there are traditions that you want to do well in. And it's certainly prevalent on social media where you know who's winning, who's losing. But at the end of the day, the three-sport athlete, there's a sport that you just, you don't really care about. And that's fine. You can, and I knew a kid, his parents made him do a team sport. And even though he was an individual swimmer, you have to do a team sport Mm -hmm. and you have to do one rec league sport when he was growing up. So he could not be on competition swimming all three years. He had to play like rec soccer. And it about how good, there there was going to be one season with no travel teams, just rec neighborhood kids. Mm -hmm. That was the requirement. And I thought that was brilliant. The appreciation for the team, but appreciation for lack of resources sometimes that you're playing on a field with rocks and it just, it gives appreciation. It gives love of the game. And I think when you're immersed in something, you're going to feel tired of it and you don't want them to burn out. And there may be a time where you know it's time to retire. It's time for you to be done, mm-hmm. but never burn out to the point where I hate this and you never want to look at that sport again. Always be able to look back on it yeah. with enjoyment. And I think the one sport athlete certainly does that. You know, And I hope they, they, they learn just health for life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> If we get older and we're like, man, I can't have a donut and Coke for breakfast anymore. I used to be able to burn this off. And now you just, you, you got to work out just as long as they know to be healthy uh, within their adult lifestyle. Yeah. That's the end goal. Exactly. Thanks for sharing that. We're going to end with this question. And again, it's a processing one. I picked this up from a guy named Dave Stahoviak, who runs a podcast and website called Coaching for Leaders. And He always asks this question, which is, what is something you have most recently changed your mind on? And the thought of it is it's a growth mindset question, right? So it's, I used to be over here and now I'm over here and here's why. And so I always float that and it doesn't have to be sport or coaching related. It can be, but what is that for you, coach, that you were pretty dug in somewhere and you've reevaluated at this point and now you're think differently about it. It's not that important. And that's what's changed is that I was so invested in when I was 22, 23 years old. I mean, it was all consuming. We, fortunately, we were great. So it didn't anger me. But yeah, I didn't want to be around failure. And now again, even when we fail, I'm, I'm going to say something. Everyone's going, my God, it's okay. When you watch your mom die in the way that my mom did with sepsis. And I know Coach Club and Ed Stevenson passed away with cancer and a few others, which are a little bit more severe. But when you watch the people you care about, go through awful things. And when you're a coach and a teacher and your kids die in drunk driving accidents, when you see they go off to war and they don't come back, it's just a game. And I really let that competition go. This is not USC football. When I was playing golf, I was very fortunate to play Pebble Beach quite a few times. And I remember being- Yeah, actually, you got me out there for the first time ever. I appreciate you to this day. Yeah, and and I remember, because I was such a good golfer in college, in high school, that if I didn't shoot one over, I was angry. And at some point, I'm like, why are you angry about being at Pebble Beach and you're plus whatever? You're not going to break the course record. You're not looking to compete against anything that's of any pertinent significance, you know? And so it was just remembering that it's just a game and taking that scorecard sometimes and throwing it out. I don't want to be one of those people that's, oh, it's just good participation trophies and imagine... Let's not keep score. No, yeah, it's, it's you win. Competition, but yeah, at the you, same time, letting there are 
there's 8 million people in the world that have it worse off than I do. And I could probably drive down X street in Sacramento and see all those people in tents and mm-hmm. be like, you know what? Good. I, I might be one in seven, but I'm good. Yeah. It's not that you're dismissing the value of competition and winning. It's what I've taken to saying lately is you win or you learn. Those are the two outcomes. And you learn when you win or you learn when you lose. And it's like, it's a snapshot of a singular moment in time. And if you focus on the process, you're going to grow. If you focus on outcome only, like you're going to be a miserable human being. I lied. We're not done. I have another question for you. How do you advise? I think that's how I want to frame this. At this point in your life, for people that are maybe younger is not the right word because who knows when they're starting, but early on in the coaching career where they may not be as vulnerable as those of us further down the experience chain are to ask for help. Like one of the things that I think most people, when I ask what's something that you've learned is I don't know everything (laughs) and I'm very comfortable doing that and asking for help, but yet Often when we're young and we have imposter syndrome and we're worried and we're not confident enough in ourselves to be able to go and say, hey, I don't know the answer to this. Can you come help? What advice do you have for people in that space or who may feel that showing vulnerability in that space takes away their power versus actually giving them more? I'm ready to latch on to all the nuggets. So I was the first one to be like, Coach Norton, I need help. To this day, I'm texting Ed Ogeron, what are some nuggets you can give me to, to help me out here? So I'm not afraid of that at all. But yeah, I definitely want at some point to have someone look at me and be like, hey, you do this amazing, great thing on your own. And yeah, that's going to make me feel good. But you you got to ask for help even when you don't know. Read the books. Maybe you don't have to listen to them, but John Wooden's blue book on the season on the mat with uh, the Iowa wrestling coach, right? Dan Gable, the perfect season with about De La Salle football. Learn their story. I was always like, what, how do we get there? And so following their instructions on how to, because I, I knew I didn't know everything. And you find out very quickly, you don't. A friend of mine from SC, Jason Mitchell, wants to get into coaching. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry, what high school I'm going to be at. He was a graduate in 05, 04, something like that. So he's our age in our late 30s, early 40s. And the first thing I told them was I said, they're going to be super excited when they see your resume. And then everyone's going to tell you you're doing it wrong. (laughs) If you're not winning like you are at USC, you're doing it wrong. And you got to be able to know you're maybe you're not doing everything right, but you're certainly not doing it wrong. You got to have trust in your philosophy and your style so long as it's not abusive to anybody else for sure but just keep going and if you find out that it's not for you that's okay it's hard it's worth it it's rewarding everybody by i think three quarters of the way of the season says i'm done i'm ready for the season to be over but then a month goes by and you're like all right when are we gonna start again and that's just the normal the flow of it all just Everyone wants to be loved. No one wants to be transparent. And unfortunately, in order for our players to get better, we need to know their weaknesses and acknowledge them. And you got to acknowledge your own weaknesses. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is it's really important to be okay not having the answers and to be vulnerable with your kids and your coaches around you and say, hey, can you help me do this? I don't know what I'm talking about. And the more you can do time, that's the board of, okay, what do we need to do? And you go in and you break and you figure it out. Perfect. Love it. For people that want to know the stories about what it's like to work for Pete Carroll and Ed Ogeron and all these other 
big name people that the world knows who they are. Where can people reach out to you, coach, and tap in to get some direct coaching? You don't talk house business. That's one thing you learned at USC. <laughs> but it, it was great. Everything they gave me as far as respect, and they never doubted for a second that I had no business being on that field yeah. and in that uh, room with them. I know they respected me. The most meaningful thing I have is all these coaches. When I send them my game scores and I send them the highlights from my game, all these coaches I still in contact with, Ed Norton, Pat Rule from the Seahawks, they're like, I'm proud of you. And th that's still feeling good. So I know they never doubted me. If they want to reach out, Courtney Hamilton at woodbury.org, go to the website. And I'm under the directory for Woodbury. You'll, you'll, you'll get coaching advice. <laughs> but as far as those secrets, those, you know, the secrets I just shared with you, care, be compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. I've got nothing else to add. If you want more information, feel free to reach out. Courtney is very gracious in her knowledge and willingness to share. So hopefully you get your inbox filled up, coach. Talk soon. So thanks, thanks for being here today. I know it was a long time coming, but glad we got it in. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. TeachHoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down an Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at TeachHoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. Drink Element is a healthy alternative to sugary electrolyte drinks. Each grab-and-go stick pack replaces essential electrolytes with no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, or any other junk. Element is thrilled to be releasing a new limited-time flavor this November, Element Milk Chocolate. I drink Element every day to support my workouts and being on the court and in the classroom. As a member of our community, Element has a special offer for you. Claim your free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. Get yours today at drinkelement, that's L-M-N-T, dot com slash contacts.